I want to talk this afternoon, and I will have most of the scriptures on the screen. There will be a couple of times that I will ask you to grab a Bible. Uh, we're going to have a couple of longer readings, and I don't really like to put all that up on the screen. And for that reason, I'll ask you to grab a Bible, and I better grab one right now. Thank you, David. If you're looking at the title and you're a little bit concerned about that, don't throw rocks yet. I think you'll understand what I mean as we start to gather our thoughts here at the beginning. But I want to talk to you about when the Word won't work. And we're going to take our reading uh, from 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 13. Paul writing here to the church at Thessalonica said, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing. And I want to stop there for just a moment. There was something that the Thessalonians were doing that caused Paul and his companions to thank God without ceasing. That's a huge statement. He was so thankful that he prayed to God constantly because of something that they were doing. And here's what he says they were doing. He says, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. What was it that Paul was thanking God without ceasing about? He said, it's because when we came to you and we gave to you the word from God, you welcomed it. That word welcome means to be accepting, graciously accepting. But it wasn't just the fact that they received the message, it was how they received the message that caused Paul to give thanks to his God. Notice what he says. You welcomed it not as the word of men. And I will tell you, as we travel around and we talk to different people about the word of God, we open the Bible with people, you know, people have various opinions about the book that we call the Bible. And a lot of people just believe that it's no more than just some book, some old book that was written by men. Is that what you think? Was this written by men? Yeah, it was. It was penned by the hand of men. But it's more than that. These men were not writing down their opinions, their interpretations, their wisdom. Not knowledge that they had gathered. Men, holy men of God, wrote, they spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost that was sent from God. This is an inspired record. And when the Thessalonians heard what Paul and others preached, he said, you welcomed it because you understood what it was. You understood it was the word of God. That's the truth about the book that we call the Bible. And I want you to know that that book is meant to be effective. It's meant to reach the heart of man. It's meant to change the heart of man. It's meant to cause a man to consider himself and to think about who he is in the light of an eternal and immortal God. But there are times when the word just won't work. And I want to start by saying this. When the word doesn't work, it's not because of the word. Notice 2 Timothy 3 and 16, a very familiar passage. Most of you can probably quote this scripture. You've probably heard it so many times. He says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. That is, it is God-breathed. It's written. And it was given by God himself. And he said, it is profitable. And that word profitable literally means it's good for the advancing of a thing. 
It's profitable, and he tells us what it's profitable for. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now listen, that the man of God may be complete. He says it's all we need. It's all that a man needs to learn, to be convicted, to be corrected, to be instructed in the way that he should live. It's good for all those things. The word is profitable and it is powerful, friends. And it equips us for every single thing that we need in this life. I want to look at Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 before we move on. And I want to look at this particular passage uh, in particular because I think there's some things that at least myself I've missed in this passage that I think are extremely powerful. He says the word of God is living. What other book can we say is living? And I don't mean living like a living document that could be changed. I mean living. It has life-giving power. It's more than just words. And he says not only is it living, it's powerful. And then he goes on to explain that. How powerful is God's word? He says, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the dividing of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of a heart. What do you use a two-sided sword for? I guess I always figured that you'd sharpen both sides of a sword just in case it was some guy over here and some guy over here. You just swing it both ways. That's not at all why you sharpen a sword on both sides though. You sharpen a sword on both sides because it's a sword that's meant to penetrate. It's for piercing Notice what he says, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing, piercing what? Piercing deeply to the deepest part of a man, to his soul, to his spirit, to the joints and marrow. Things that we can't see, the Word of God can penetrate those things. It pierces so deeply, it can discern the thoughts and intents of a man. And I've seen it happen. I've seen a six-foot-five man cry like a baby because the Word of God pierced his heart and it turned his heart and it changed him it's powerful the word is effective but I want you to notice something he says earlier in the chapter he said this Hebrews 4 verse 2 for unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them who the unbeliever and he says but the word preached did not profit them now listen not being mixed with faith and them that heard it. Is the word powerful? Yes. Is it profitable? Yes. But he said it did not profit them. And the reason is because their heart was not willing to receive it. And I want to talk to you this afternoon about why that happens. Why is it that people don't receive God's word? And I'll tell you, that it's not going to be exhaustive. We couldn't go into all the reasons. But I want to go to the words of Jesus and I want to ask you to grab your Bible or electronic device or whatever you're accustomed to using and turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 13. <clears throat> this is often referred to as the chapter of parables in the book of Matthew. Uh, there are several different parables, I think maybe seven uh, in particular that Jesus gives that are very striking. There are things in this parable uh, of the sower that we often talk about and study, but I actually don't want to look at the parable of the sower. I want to look at the conversation that they had between when Jesus gave the parable and when he explained the parable. Because they ask a question to Jesus, and I've got verse 10 up there, but I actually want to back up to verse 9 because it's important. 
Matthew 13, verse 9, Jesus said, as he ended the parable of the sower, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. We'll come back to that in a moment. And the disciples came and said, to him, said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but unto them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that that he hath. Therefore speak out of them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they, they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, that's Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. Now I want to stop right there, and we'll get to verse 15 in a moment. So they asked Jesus the question, why do you speak to them in parables? Now, let's say that you spent a week with me, and y'all have known me all my life, so you already know I'm weird. But let's just say that I walked around all week long, and I kept talking to you in riddles. You go, Ian's on drugs. <laughs> Something's wrong with Ian. <laughs> why, why is he talking that way? That's really strange. And it was odd to them that Jesus would speak to them in these riddles, in these uh, placing besides. He would talk to them in analogies, and they said, why do you do that? And so Jesus said, well... Because it's given to you, my disciples. It's given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom. But unto them it's not given. So if you just look at that verse by itself, you might conclude, well, Jesus spoke in parables because he wanted to confuse people. Because what he was doing was he was actually uh, weeding out these others and saying, well, you know, I'm not going to tell you the mysteries of the kingdom. I'm just going to tell. That's really not what he's saying, okay? Stick with me. He says, unto you it's given to know the mysteries of the kingdom, but unto them it's not given, okay? You with me? Now I want to go back to the reading just for a moment. I want to look at something that Jesus said after that. Verse 12 is going to clear it up. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that he hath. Maybe you're like me and you just read that and you went, that didn't help at all. <laughs> What's he talking about? Okay, here's the reason why we went back to verse 9. He said, whosoever hath ears to hear. What do you mean by that? Do you think there was people in the crowd that didn't have ears? They all had ears. What he was saying is, whosoever has a desire to hear, then listen. And then he says this to his disciples. He says, unto them it's not given to know the mysteries. And he said, here's why. Whosoever hath, hath what? Ears to hear. To him shall be given. Given what? Understanding and knowledge of the kingdom of God. But unto them that hath not. Hath not what? Don't have a desire to hear. Don't have a desire for learning. Don't have a desire to truth. Those that don't have ears to hear. He said, I'm going to take away even that which they think they have. You know what they thought they had? The truth. Understanding. Okay, let's pick our reading back up in verse 15. Verse 15, he says, For this people's, what people? The people that didn't have ears to hear. This people's heart is waxed gross. That means it's grown hard. And their ears are dull of hearing and their eyes, listen, they have closed. Whose fault is it? Is it God's? No, it's theirs. He said their heart is hard. 
Their ears don't see and their ears don't hear because that's the decision that they have made. That's the choice that they made. And he says in the middle of that verse in 15, lest at any time they should see with their ears and hear with their, uh, should see with their ears, good grief, should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. You see the process that a person sees, they hear, they understand, it reaches the heart, they're converted, they're healed. Isn't that simple? What happens when they don't hear and they don't see? There's no conversion. There's no heart. There's no healing. And that's why the word doesn't work sometimes. Because we have problems in our own lives that cause us to not want to see and not want to hear. You ever had somebody say something you didn't want to listen to? And you just went, I don't got to listen to this. And you just left the room. Why do we do that? Because we don't want to listen to it. Sometimes it's not because it's not true. It's because it hurts. You know, now, nowadays everybody just says everything on social media. So you just unfollow that person, right? If they say something you don't like, I don't have to listen to this. Click. But I think there's a problem in that attitude that sometimes we're just unwilling to listen altogether. We're listening to look at something and actually consider that what we may know may not be true. And that's the problem that those people had. Jesus said some very different things, things that challenged them. I want to go to verse 19 in this chapter just for a moment. When Jesus started explaining this parable about the sower, he said, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom, now listen, and does not understand it. Now we know why someone wouldn't understand it. Jesus just told us. Then the wicked one comes, that's the devil, and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. If you don't understand the message, guess what happens to the message? It leaves. And I'll tell you, this can give us some great advice. That it's more than just reading your Bible. Reading your Bible's great, okay? But just reading out of a sense of obligation, just reading to read, it's not going to stick with you. You need to slow down. You need to ask the right questions. Get some help if you have to, because understanding God's Word is where the effect happens. It's when it penetrates the heart. It's when it sticks with you. It's when you don't forget it. If we don't understand, it's just going to go away. The Word's going to be stripped right out of our heart. We need to understand. That's the point. And there are things that cause us not to understand. Now, I'm going to butcher all these names, but that's okay. I'm in Wheeler, Texas, so you don't expect me to read them correctly. So I'm going to read them West Texas style. Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 7. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Achab, Shebathai, Hodijah, Masiah, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peleiah, and the Levites. That one's probably correct. Help the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. They didn't just read the law, okay? I guess I always had this picture of these rabbis getting up there and just very monotone, just reading the book, closing the book. But listen, they helped them to understand the law. Now look at the next verse. So they read distinctly from the book. They read distinctly. They were picky. They chose. Now listen to the next part. And they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. That means they explained the meaning. 
And I want to say this toward both teachers and learners. If you're a teacher here, it's not just your job to get up here and fill a slot. It's not just your job to get up here and read God's Word and expect everybody knows everything you know. It's your job as a teacher to help people understand God's Word. And sometimes, most of the time, that means we've got to explain the meaning of the words. Give the sense of the passage. As a learner, if you don't know what something means, don't just go, I don't know what he's talking about. Go talk to that teacher and say, I didn't understand what you meant. You know why? Because it's important that we understand God's word because that's when it changes us. You know what that takes? It takes humility. Because you know what's hard for me to do? It's hard for me to call somebody and say, you know what, I've been reading this passage and I have no clue what it's talking about. And they go, well, you're an evangelist. You're supposed to know this. I say, well, I don't. (laughs) I don't. I need help. It's hard for us to ask for help. I don't know why. That's, maybe it's human nature. I know it's pride, but I will say this. Sometimes we just need help. And here's this nobleman that we read about, this eunuch, who is very high up in authority in the country of Ethiopia. He's riding in his chariot, going home. He's reading the scripture. He's searching. His eyes are open. His ears are open. But still, he doesn't understand. And Philip came up to him and just asked a very simple question. Do you understand what you're reading? He wasn't being insulting. He just wanted to know if he understood what he was reading. And he said, how can I accept some man should guide me? I'll tell you, that's the key. That's the key. I sympathize with anybody that opens God's word and says, I'm having difficulty. But I'll tell you what, I can't sympathize with someone who reads it over and over and over and goes, I don't understand it, I don't understand it, and they never ask for help. It's hard for me to sympathize with that person because we need help. Ask Sean. Talk to Sean. I bet he doesn't do all his study on his own. I know he doesn't. Sometimes people that we might think are scholars of the Word, they need help. You know why? Because that's God's design. This man needed help, and he wasn't so prideful to say, I need help. I want to read about one more man. Uh, This is a familiar character to us. His name is Apollos, and Uh, It's interesting to me that as Luke writes this, he gives a lot of different details about this man's history, about his current life, about who he is. And I believe that he did that for a reason. Um, The first thing he tells us about this man, Apollos, is he was born at Alexandria. Now, that doesn't mean a lot to us in West Texas, but it's synonymous with our modern day terms like Cambridge, Oxford, Stanford, Harvard, Yale, Ivy League schools. That's what they associated the word Alexandria with, was this is an educated man. He grew up in the center of education in the world. He was educated. He was an eloquent man. I bet words just float off his tongue like rivers of silk. Mine's more like mud sometimes, but that's okay. This man was eloquent. Not only that, it says he was mighty in the scriptures. He knew the Bible. Now listen what it says about him. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord. Who's the Lord? I'll tell you what Paul said in Ephesians 4. There's only one Lord. That's Jesus Christ. What was he teaching? Jesus. And somebody trained him to do it. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. He'd been to training. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and listened, taught accurately. 
the things of the Lord, though he only knew the baptism of John. We focus on that right there where he was messed up. But I'll tell you, he wasn't completely messed up. This man knew the scriptures and he had training. And I'll tell you, when you get a guy like that, I'll tell you what you get. You get one of those guys that feels like he's the smartest guy in the room. You know who the hardest guy to teach is? The smartest guy in the room. Because he thinks he knows more than you. You can't teach him a thing. That could have been Apollos. But this is what's interesting to me. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Priscilla and Aquila were tent makers. Okay, picture the scene. Two guys come in off the street covered in paint. Painters come in to Harvard and they walk up to a professor who has a doctorate in his field and they say, Sir, we heard you say something that we want to talk to you about and we'd like to correct you. How do you expect that to go? Who are you? Where'd you go to college? Where'd you get your doctorate? Don't you know who I am? That could have been Apollo's. I'll tell you something. I don't know what you think about Apollos, but I'll tell you what I see about Apollos. Apollos was a humble man, a humble man who desired the truth. Because they didn't just teach him. He went on and he taught the truth and became a pillar in the kingdom because he had enough humility to let somebody else teach him. And I'll tell you what this tells us. Anybody can learn from anybody. Anybody. You can learn from anybody. But you've got to have the humility to understand that you don't have all the wisdom in the world. You don't know everything and you might be wrong. So let's talk about tradition for a minute. And uh, I'll tell you sometimes as we talk about tradition, we squirm in our seats. Because uh, we're deep-rooted in traditions, aren't we? And you know, there's a lot of good in traditions. I want to say that up front. And I'm going to repeat it again just so you understand that I'm not against tradition. But I want to think about tradition for just a minute because sometimes tradition can cause the word not to work. It can absolutely cause the word to have none effect. I put this picture up here because this was my tradition. Carpentry. Fourth generation carpenter. And dad's here today. And uh, I don't mean to put him on display uh, but I'll tell you, when, as I was learning from my dad and from my grandpa, uh, I learned something real quick. There's two ways to do things. There's the wrong way, and there's their way. Guess what? I bought into that. And most of the stuff that I still do today, guess how I do it? I do it my dad's way. I don't do it so much my papa's way, uh, or Leslie's way. I do it my dad's way, because I found out his way's the right way. You guys are crazy. <laughs> But I'll tell you, sometimes that can get dangerous when it affects other things in our life. When it's not just about doing work or, or working cattle or, or, or driving a tractor. I'll tell you, there's some things where mom and dad, they teach us things in our most impressionable and early years when we're open ears and open eyes and we believe it for the rest of our life and those things may not be right. Like I said... Squirming in the seat. Well, how dare you say my parents weren't right? Well, mine weren't always right. 
That's my kids. I'm not always right. I'll tell you, it's tough. Because traditions become a part of our life before we can even talk. And here's the problem about traditions. Paul said, beware, lest any man cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not after Christ. Here's where we get in trouble. It's when those traditions cause us to look at God's word through the lens of those traditions. Here's what I mean. We go to scripture, we find scriptures, and we look at it and we go, that can't be right. And then we look through our lens of our traditions and we go, oh, I know how to explain that passage away. I did it. I did it for years. We've got to be really careful about traditions. You know, the, one of the biggest problems that the people had in Jesus' day was they were so rooted in their traditions, they could not see the forest for the trees. Jesus talked <coughs> to the disciples and to the Pharisees about traditions on several occasions. And in this particular instance, he spoke and he said, Can the blind lead the blind? Well, that's kind of a rhetorical question, isn't it? I mean, no. <laughs> where are they going to lead them? They don't know where they're going. That's the point. Will they not both fall into the ditch? <coughs> both who? Both teacher and learner. They'll both fall into the ditch. Do you see the relationship of mentor and teacher that he's given here? That's why he says in verse 40, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Now listen, don't get confused. Jesus is not making a connection between his disciples and him as a teacher. He's giving a generic teacher uh, teaching rather about mentors and students. And here's the deal, okay? You know how I do a Bible study? Like Sean Zebach. You know why? Sean Zebach taught me how to do a Bible study. And still sometimes I do Bible studies to the church. They go, you teach the Bible like Sean Zebach. Well... <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad, Sean, but <laughs> because he was my mentor. That's the way disciples are. They're going to learn and they're going to be exactly like their mentor. Well, guess what? If that mentor's blind, then the student will be blind because he's going to be just like his mentor. And so Jesus says this, familiar words to us. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the beam in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the beam that is in your own eye? Hypocrite! First remove the beam from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. You know, we read these passages and what we automatically uh, assume about them is, oh, that's about hypocritical judgment. Well, is it? Well... It is, but let's look at the why, okay? Because that's the point Jesus is making is the why they were hypocritical judges. What did he start out with? The eyes. That's where we started with the eyes. They had an eye problem. They were blind. You know what happens when you're blind? You can't make discernments. And what does he say? You look at your brother and you see a speck in his eye and you've got a beam. Now, Suppose I walked up to somebody and you saw it. Everybody could see it around me. I had a, about a, a, a two-foot length of two before sticking out of my forehead. And I walked up to Sean and I said, Hey, buddy, hold still. You got a little something right there. Hold on. Hold on. Got it. Woo, saved you. Everybody be going, What? Do you not see that thing sticking out of your head? 
I know that seems ridiculous, but that's, that's the kind of ridiculous example Jesus is giving to try to wake them up and make them see. Now notice that it's about perception, it's about vision, so that you can see clearly. Because they couldn't see clearly. You know why they couldn't see clearly? Because they were so rooted in their traditions. It was the beam. It was the beam. What about us? Do you think we're immune to that? You think we're immune to opening up God's word and not looking at it through our traditions instead of just looking at it in its context and examining it honestly? I will say if we think we're immune, we might be in trouble. These men had a huge problem with their traditions. Turn with me to Mark chapter 7, and and yes, we're going to read all 13 verses. We're going to go through it kind of quickly. I want to read the first five verses to begin with, uh, because what we've got is two different things here. First, we've got Mark's commentary on the situation. He gives us some background information before he actually tells us the story. And uh, that background information is important for us to understand what Jesus taught here. Mark chapter 13, or I'm sorry, don't go to Mark 13, go to Mark 7, 1 through 13. Mark chapter 7. So this is Mark's kind of narrator. Uh, He gives a narration here in verses 1 through 4. Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees... And all the Jews, except they wash their hands oft, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not, and many other things there be which they have received a hold, as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels, and of tables. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashing hands? Now, this has been on our minds since March, right? Ever since we've had all this stuff about COVID-19. Wash your hands, wash your hands. Sing a song while you wash your hands. And now, I guess I'm not hearing so much about wash your hands as I am putting on a mask. Uh, But I will tell you this, you ought to wash your hands. You ought to wash your hands anyway. And I'm going to tell you my personal opinion on the matter. Uh, if, if kids come into my home, which they're in my home all the time, and they come in and we fix food and they walk in, the first question I say is, did you wash your hands? You know what I want to say? Did you wash your nasty, filthy, stinking hands? Because kids are gross. I see them all the time. They wipe their snot. They wipe it on their shirt. They, they're into everything. They, their hands are nasty. They're defiled. I'm just kidding. Not really, though. <laughs> But it's one, it's one thing to have that opinion, right? This wasn't an opinion to them. And it wasn't a deal of, hey, did you wash your hands before you touched the bread? And, and, and they go, oh, no, I forgot. So you throw that bread away and have them go wash your hands. It wasn't that. Imagine if one of my kids came in there and I said, did you wash your hands before you touched the food? And they said, no. And I go, you go to your room right now and you pray for forgiveness. You go, you're kind of psycho now. That's where they were. It wasn't about, hey, you guys ought to wash their hands before they eat. It was, um, excuse me, Jesus, your disciples are not keeping the tradition of the elders by washing their hands before they eat. And it says, they found fault. They turned something that was good and practical, wash your hands before you eat, and they made it a law of God to where they said, that's sinful. 
That's sinful. And so Jesus explained to them the truth, because they were blind, remember, he explained to them the truth about tradition. Let's read on, starting in verse 6. Well, let's back up back to verse 5. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said to them, Well, hath Isaiah prophesied of you, hypocrites. As it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. You know those passages, don't you? But let's look at the passage that follow it. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such things you do. And he said unto them, Full well you reject the commandments of God that you may keep your own tradition. For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curseth father and mother, let him die the death. <laughs> but ye say, If a man shall say to his father and mother, It is Corban, that is to say, a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and many such things you do. There's three things he says to them about tradition that I want everyone here, including myself, to look at. And we need to view our traditions through this lens. First of all, Jesus told them, for laying aside the commandments of God to hold your tradition. Now, uh, I've been starting to build some furniture from time to time. And I figured two things out. Number one, you can never have too many clamps. Don't argue with me. It's the truth. You can't have too many clamps. Number two, you never have enough hands. You just don't. And I'll be out there and I'll have two things. I'll have something in both hands. I need to grab something else. And I just got to make a choice. I got to put something down and prioritize, right? Well, listen... When they were faced with a decision, I've got to lay something down and prioritize. He said, what you'll do is you'll take the commandments of God and you'll lay it aside. So you can hold your tradition. Why? Because you can't hold both and you know it. You can't do it. That was their priority. He said, in fact, full well you reject the commandments of God so you can keep your tradition. That's a bad place to be, friends. When you value your tradition more than the commandments of God, you're in a bad place. And I'll tell you, this is the most tragic of the statements that Jesus made to them. Through your tradition, you have made the word of God of none effect. He said the word won't work when you do that. Again, I want to say I'm not against tradition. In fact, we're taught in Scripture to hold fast the traditions which we have been taught, whether by word or epistle. There are traditions that you and I have that are based and they're founded upon God's Word. And it's okay to have those traditions. And tradition and structure is good when it's founded on God's Word. But when it's backwards and we start forming beliefs based on our tradition, we could get in trouble really quick and the Word could have none effect. Last thing I want to talk to you about this afternoon is the ears. We talked about the eyes a little bit. I want to talk about the ears a little bit. I want to go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And uh, we're not going to read all the way down to verse 25. I hope you'll go read that uh, when you get time. Uh, the thought never changes all the way through verse 25. We're just going to read. Uh, we'll read down through verse 23. Uh, I want to start in verse 18. 
so we can pick up the context because I'm probably going to do a little exercise in challenging a tradition here uh, that is a traditional view of a passage of Scripture. Uh, looking at James chapter 1 and verse 18, James here writing says, Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. I want to stop right there. I want us to look at 19 and 20 again. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. Now, uh, I will tell you, I have used this passage uh, in the past to talk about communication. And when we communicate with people, what should we do? We should be slow to speak, we should be quick to listen, and we should be slow to wrath. But I want you to know something. In its context, this passage has absolutely nothing to do with conversations between men. Back up to verse 18 again. Of his own will begat he us with what? With the word of truth. Why? That we might become the first fruit of his creatures. Now look at verse 19 again. Therefore, wherefore, that means because of what I just said. He's tying it back to verse 18. Because he's begat us with the word of truth, we ought to open our ears and close our mouth and not get angry. That's what he's saying. Why? Because the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You know what happens a lot of times when people hear the truth and it's one of those truth where we say truth hurts? You know what happens? They get mad. You ever had somebody sit up here and preach the word of God and you got angry at him and then later you thought about it and thought, you know what, he's right, I was just mad. You know what that won't do for you? It won't produce righteousness to get mad when you hear the truth. That's the point he's making. Look, there's a contrast in the next verse. Wherefore, again, wherefore, verse 21, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of notice and receive with meekness the engrafted word. It's all about the word. And he says, don't get angry when you hear the truth. Don't try to come up with a rebuttal when you hear the truth. Keep your mouth shut, your ears open, and don't get mad. But he says, if you receive with meekness, the engrafted word, what will it do? It will save your soul. That's why he goes on to say, but be a doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Friends, it's all about the word. And I want to show you in scripture in just a moment <clears throat> an example of what James is talking about. I love this passage. It's a great reminder. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. I don't know why. You know there's a reason my dad taught me to do things the right way? It's because if I'd have done everything my way, he'd have been redoing everything. And I had to learn, because it was hard for me. You can ask him, as he was teaching me certain things, I'd get mad, I'd go, no, I'll do it. <laughs> that was foolishness. I always want to do things my own way. But he says, you know, that's the way of the fool. The way of the fool is always right in his own eyes. But a person who will listen, they're wise. You know, there's just certain things we hear in the Bible 
They're just hard to hear. I don't know about you, but I've read some things in the Bible that I went, man, that hurt. That stung. I heard something this morning from Franklin McDonough as he was preaching. I thought, that hurt. Yeah. Sometimes truth hurts. You know, as Jesus was talking to a group of thousands, he had just fed the multitudes, uh, went across to get away from the multitudes, got there, here they are again. (laughs) And he said, you know why you're here? You're here because you ate the food and your bellies are full. He said, but I've got bread that I could give you that if you ate it, you'll never die. And they said, well, that's the bread we want from now on. He said, okay, here it is. I'm the bread of life. And they went, what? (laughs) How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And he said, yeah, I'm the bread of life. I came down from heaven. And he said, in fact, if you don't eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. You know what they said? This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? That was hard to hear. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? You know, something we probably haven't considered is that it was probably just as hard for the twelve to hear him say those words as it was everybody else. They'd never heard that. This was new. You know what Peter said when... Jesus talked to them. He didn't say, no, Lord, we totally get it. We totally understand. You're making a metaphor about bread and how it sustains us. And we understand the... He didn't say any of that. I don't think they understood a lick of it. What he said was, to whom shall we go? Jesus, it doesn't matter that we don't understand and that it's hard for us to hear it. What matters is we know who you are. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We're going to listen to your words whether they're hard to hear or not. We've got to have that attitude. It's not because of whether we agree with what we read, but we look at what we read knowing who gave it. It doesn't matter whether it hurt. It's Jesus who has the words of eternal life. It's not your grandmother. It's not your mother. It's not some professor. It's not your mentor. It's not some politician. It's Jesus who has the words of life. And it doesn't matter whether it hurts. You know, back in the first century, men took the gospel out. And as Peter preached the first gospel sermon, the people that heard it, it says they were pierced to the heart. What did we read earlier? That the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even the dividing of the soul and spirit. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Did it do that to them? It absolutely did. It pierced them in their heart. You know what they said? What shall we do? I'll tell you there was another audience not long after that. And this time a different man was preaching. A man named Stephen was preaching. And I want you to know that the message that day did the same thing to the heart of these people that it did to these others. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. But you know what they did? They got mad. (laughs) Oh, they got mad. They ran upon Stephen. They took him outside the city and they murdered him. You know why? Because the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 
Last passage of the afternoon, if you want to go ahead and grab your songbooks and get them out. <clears throat> Solomon says, buy the truth and do not sell it. You ever bought something that you just thought, I'll never sell this? I've got a guitar at home. Um, <clears throat> I paid $500 for it. Uh, when it was brand new, it was worth $2,700. Um, I wouldn't take $10,000 for it. I wouldn't take $20,000. My wife may be over there going, well, you're stupid and crazy, and I'll sell it. <laughs> I wouldn't sell it. And I'll tell you why. It has an intrinsic value to me. I know what it is. There's just some things you can't put a price on. And truth is that very thing that you can't put a price on. He says, buy it. You know what it means to buy the truth? It means to pay a price. And I'll tell you, it may cost you something to buy the truth. It may cost your pride. It may cost you saying, my parents are wrong. There may be a lot of different things you have to pay to buy the truth. But the second thing he says is once you buy it, don't sell it. How would you sell the truth? With traditions? He says don't sell the truth. Also, don't sell wisdom. Don't sell understanding. I don't know, friends, if you've been struggling with the word of God. Maybe there's something that's holding you back. Maybe you've got something that's your hang-up from becoming the person that you know you need to be. Maybe there's something you've been trying to change in your life, but there's that one thing that's been sticking there. And I want to repeat his words here. Buy the truth and don't sell it. Receive the word with meekness. And I promise you, you won't regret that decision because it will affect you the way that God's word is supposed to, and it will save your soul. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.